Hi everyone, this is Pastor Brett from First Baptist Church here in Cherryvale, Kansas, and I want to welcome you to our Cherryvale First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Our prayer is that the Lord will speak to you through His Word for His people. If you're looking for a church home, we encourage you to join us for our celebration service every Sunday morning at 1045. It's a great time of praising our Lord and hearing from Him. We are just a group of passionate followers of Jesus Christ with a desire to worship Him and take His message of hope to the heartland. If you want to find out more information about our church, you can look at our website, www.fbcherryvale.org. My sermon will begin in just a moment, and thanks again for listening. I invite you to find your Bibles and turn back to Luke chapter 15. As you're turning there, have you ever had one of those weeks? Those kind of weeks, it's like the busiest week that you've ever had in your life. Many times it plays out like this. You have multiple projects at work that are due. Family from out of town, they decide, well, this weekend, it's the time to come and spend some time and visit with you. And on top of all that, you're helping to run a conference or a children's program at the church over this next weekend. All of this happens in your life in a span of three days. After a few nights of very little sleep and a lot of hard work and a juggling act on your calendar, you can say you survived that weekend. And when it's all over, what happens is you went to sleep. You slept for like 20 hours or something like that. And when you woke up, well, it was one of the strangest feelings you ever had. You didn't know if you were still tired or if you were more awake than you'd ever been. You didn't know what day it was. You didn't know what time it was when you woke up. Ever have one of those experiences? I've had several of those over the years. And here's what I've learned through that. The longer that you've been asleep, the more difficult it can be waking up. That's true when we have those challenging weeks. And it's also true when we have those aha experiences in our life. Last week, we talked about what life was like in a distant country. And if you spend any time in that distant country, you know it is hard to wake up when you're in that distant country. I don't know exactly why it is. Maybe you've been asleep for too long. Maybe you just can't hear the alarms that God was sending your way trying to get you to wake up. Maybe you've just grown accustomed to only hearing your voice while you're there. That you just can't hear anybody else. But a lot of times what happens is we end up hitting what? Rock bottom. We hit rock bottom in that distant country because it can be so hard for us to wake up to the reality after you've been asleep for such a long time. But maybe... Just maybe you don't have to hit rock bottom. Maybe God's trying to get your attention right now. He wants to save you from having to have that rock bottom experience in your life. But yet it's hard, right? It's hard for us to wake up when we're in that distant country. The son in Jesus' parable of the prodigal son experiences this. He doesn't wake up in his life until he finally hits rock bottom. We've been studying this story, and we've seen that this younger of two sons, remember he asked his father for his inheritance early. He ends up leaving the safety, the provision, the protection, and the abundance of his father's house. He squanders all his wealth, and then he ends up broke. He ends up all alone. He leaves the father's house. He sets off for that distant country, and he ends up with nothing. He ends up with no one in his life. He hits rock bottom. But then, if that's not bad enough, the only job he can find is feeding pigs. And he's hungry enough, Scripture tells us, to what? He even wanted to eat the pig slop. He's in this distant country, and he's done hit rock bottom in his life. But this is about to be this young man's aha moment in his life. The very next verse, it is very pivotal in this whole story that Jesus was telling. Without verse 17, there is no aha Please stand in honor of reading God's word. We're in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. Our teaching text today is just the first part of verse 17, but I'm going to begin reading in verse 11 to give us the full story here. 
So Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we just thank you again for your word. We thank you for this parable that Jesus is telling us, this story about real life. And Lord, I pray that we'll see ourselves in this story and understand where we are, where we're at in our aha story, and understand what alarms you might be sending our way, how you might be trying to wake us up from the things that we're doing that we need to correct, get back on course with you. God, I pray that you will use your text, use your word to speak to each and every one of us this morning. Fill us with your grace, fill us with your mercies. We know your mercies are new every day. We thank you for them, Lord. We thank you for your truth. It's in your name we pray. And all God's children said... Amen. He may be seated. Let me begin by saying, what would that verse say? He came to his senses. Now that's kind of an interesting turn of phrase there, isn't it? To come to your senses, it implies that suddenly what you were not seeing, you now you begin to see what you were not hearing. Now you begin to hear what you were not feeling. You're beginning to feel it now. You come to your senses. You become aware of what's been right in front of you. And that's what's called a sudden awakening. And that's the first ingredient of aha. See, all aha stories, they all begin the same way. Remember, we leave our father's house. They all progress the same way. And we end up, we always end up in that distant country. And then after that. After aha, after it truly begins in your life, there are three basic ingredients that are present in all aha stories. In order for that to take place in a lasting way, those ingredients, remember what they were? They were a sudden awakening, brutal honesty, and immediate action. And verse 17 this morning, it speaks of his sudden awakening. The son, he comes to his senses and he realizes that, well... Things didn't really work out the way that I had planned for them to work out. This life out on my own and living it up, it just didn't pan out the way that I thought it would be. Let me ask, what wakes you up in the morning? What gets you up? What gets you going when you're laying in bed? Is it the sound of a harp just lightly playing behind you? Maybe it's a doorbell or a car horn. Or maybe it's anything that's blaring wakes you up. Perhaps it's your spouse kicking you to go and shut that awful noise up that's over on your side. But what is it for you? What wakes you up? Or do you like to hit the snooze? Are you one of those that you hit the snooze? Or do you like to wake right up when you hear the alarm? Understand, the effectiveness of the alarm is in direct correlation to how much you don't want to hear it. Meaning, until your desire to not hear that alarm anymore outweighs your desire to keep on sleeping, you're not going to wake up. Up to this point in our story that Jesus has been telling the younger son here, he had been leading a life of rebellion. He was leading a life of sin. He told his father, hey, I want my share of the estate, and I want it right now. And remember, when he got it, he used it to finance his trip into that distant country, far from his father's house. He went as far as he could possibly go away, and he spent it in a fit of wild living. He thought he was free. He thought he was free from his father's rules, from his restrictions. He thought he was free from not being able to do what he wanted to do all the time. He felt free. Free, just like a skydiver when they feel free falling down until until that skydiver realizes he forgot to put on his chute. 
his undoing, it came when that famine, when it struck the land. Without any resources, this young man, he ended up friendless. He ended up being a slave in the pig pens. And he was fantasizing about eating that, mm, that tasty pig slop that he was feeding to those pigs. And that's when scripture tells us that he came to his senses. That's when he became alert. That's when he became aware of everything that was happening around him. He was able, finally able to see, see what everyone else had already been seeing. He messed up. He had it good in his life, but he messed up and he blew it. He traded his life of happiness, his life of security, his life of love for a life of chasing after one fantasy and empty pleasure after another. In the original language that Jesus used right here, it's best translated, he came to himself. He realized what he had. He realized how far from that he now was in his life. John Piper said it this way. He said, running from God is always a running from ourselves. Repentance is waking up to this truth. And this is the aha moment right here. This is that aha moment for this son in Jesus' story. The moment this young man went, remember what we said, the light bulb finally went off for this young man. And he realized he needs to make a change in his life. Every aha moment has those three critical components, awakening, honesty, and action. And understand, if you leave any one of those three out, any one of those components, you're not going to have a significant change in your life. If you have an awakening and honesty, but you don't take action on that, then change doesn't happen in your life. If you have an awakening and action, but if you aren't really honest about your situation, then the whole thing is just going to be a short-lived change. But when God, when He comes in by His Holy Spirit, He causes an awakening, He causes some honesty in your life, and then some action to follow, then it's possible for you to come on home from that distant country. It is possible to make the real change that is needed for the good of your life. In the next few weeks, we'll be talking about each one of those three components in AHA. But for today, we're going to be talking specifically about awakening, God's awakening. When God, when He gets your attention, we immediately become aware of our present situation. We become aware of the circumstances that are around us and the reality that something in our life, it must change. This young man in Jesus' story, he suddenly realized what his life had become. When he left, he never, he never would have thought he would end up like this. But life, well, it got his attention. And he knew at this point in his life that things had to change. Have you ever had a moment like that? A moment when the Holy Spirit, he just kind of opens your eyes. A moment when you see something that somehow you missed before. You have this startling realization. It changes everything in your perspective and in your life going forward. You return from a late night casino binge to find your wife and your kids gone. She'd had enough of the lies, enough of the crushing debt in your life. The alarm sounds. She returns from a flirtatious meetup with a high school sweetheart. She bumps the table as she walks in. She looks at the picture that she knocked over. It's her and her husband and their three children all making funny faces. The alarm sounds. The college students' grades, they arrive in the mail. All the hanging out with the wrong friends, all the wild partying. Well, now you've flunked out of school. The alarm sounds. You're a junior in high school. With trembling hands, you're standing there. You're holding a pregnancy test. You're waiting for the results. The alarm sounds. You log off the website. You delete all the browsing history. You turn off the computer all while your wife sleeps in the other room. You've chosen this, this computer and that stuff over her. The alarm sounds. Sooner or later, when you're spending your life in the distant country, the alarm will sound. 
Friend, I don't know what it is for you, but whatever it is, there's no surprise why God has you here this morning. He's wanting to open your eyes. He's wanting to make you aware. He's wanting to wake you up so that you will come home. He's telling you, come home. Come to me. Come to the Father. This morning, we're going to be talking about four ways that God might be trying to wake you up, be trying to get your attention about the path that you're taking. So if you're here this morning and you find yourself, you happen to be in some distant country, maybe it's not your whole life, maybe it's just in some area of your life, these may be some ways that God, that he's trying to get you to come to your senses to have your sudden awakening. So the first thing we're going to see is under number one, God, he might be trying to get your attention through his word. That's the first way that we'll talk about his word. It might be coming to you at just the right time in your life. One of the reasons that we come to church, one of the reasons we read our Bibles is to allow God to speak to us. And here's the cool thing about the way God works. Often it will happen when you least expect it. You may find yourself reading some specific set of verses and you realize that you see yourself in those verses or maybe in one of the characters in those verses. And then you understand, you realize that maybe God's trying to tell me something here. I hear it all the time, how God, how he really caught someone's attention while they were listening to one of our messages. Some talk to me after the services, some email me during the week and others through other different media. And many times what happens is I'll ask them, I said, what is it that struck you about the message? What really resonated with you? And as they tell me, I'm thinking, but that wasn't even the main point of the sermon. That wasn't what it was really about. But you see, here's what often happens. It will be some minor point, or maybe it's some scripture I might have used as a cross-reference in there. But for that person, at that particular moment, that was just the thing that God was using to wake them up. To give them that little shake and say, wake up! Friends, let me say, just because you sit in church, just because you're physically here on Sunday mornings, that's not enough. Understand, it's not like there's some mystical benefit that's conferred upon anyone here just for showing up in a church building on a Sunday morning. For this experience, for it to be beneficial for anyone here, it would be a complete waste of your time if you didn't dive into God's word, if you didn't try to embrace it. Friends, you have to listen. You have to engage in the sermon. You have to engage with the text. You must be alert for what God, what he wants to say to you through his message. Otherwise, all I gotta say is you're wasting your time being here. In the Old Testament, the prophet Ezekiel, he became known as a pretty good preacher. He was known for some of the dramatic object lessons that he would give. He used vivid and colorful language when he was speaking to communicate God's word. But what happened was the people, they started coming for the entertainment value. They started coming just for the show that was going on, but they weren't really listening. Look at it in Ezekiel 33, verses 30 to 32. God says this to Ezekiel. He says, as for you, son of man, your people are talking together about you by the wall and at the doors of the houses, saying to each other, come and hear the message that has come from the Lord. My people come to you as they usually do and sit before you to hear your words, but they do not put them into practice. Their mouths speak of love, but their hearts are greedy for unjust gain. Indeed, To them you are nothing more than one who sings love songs with a beautiful voice and plays an instrument well. For they hear your words, but do not put them into practice. God, he was speaking to Ezekiel here. He was trying to wake the people up. Have Ezekiel wake these people up because they weren't listening. Not really. What did it say? For they hear the words, but do not put them into practice. There are some here, you rarely miss a sermon, but you fail to put what you hear into practice in your life. 
I'm sure we're all familiar with that phrase, right? Practice what you preach. We all have heard of that. And those of you sitting in the pew, you want to judge the one standing behind this pulpit on this side over here, and you expect them to live out what they say. And sure, I'm going to say, there's nothing more hypocritical and dishonoring to God than when a pastor doesn't do what he tells his congregation to do. But as a listener, you need to realize we as pastors, we have every right to expect you, those of you in the pew, to also practice what we preach. That is to say, practice what you hear. Jesus, brother James, he puts it like this. This is what he says in James 1, to 24. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Why do you look in a mirror? It's so that you can see what is going on with your face, right? It's your way of coming to your senses about what's going on. But let's just say if you look in a mirror and you see that you know, maybe your hair is all out of place or maybe you got a bat in the cave, right, or a smudge on your cheek, and what happens is you walk away from that mirror without doing anything about it. You don't grab a comb and comb your hair. You don't blow your nose or you don't wipe that dirt off. Then what good did it do? That's what it's like when you come to church, when you don't pay attention and you don't practice what is preached. That's what it's like when you let it go. As my mama used to say to me all the time, you let it go in one ear and out the other. But James, he goes on. Look at James 1.25. He says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he is blessed in his doing. Listen, God might be trying to get your attention right now in this sermon. Or maybe for you, it's your morning devotions where God's trying to get your attention. He wants to speak to you. Or maybe somebody listening to our podcast. Or maybe it's one of those who listen to a radio preacher as you commute back and forth each day. God is trying to talk to you through these mediums. The question is this. Are you listening? The second way God might be trying to speak to you to get your attention is through the people around you. We'll call this the words of someone else in your life. Sometimes God uses someone else to try to get our attention. It might be your parents. They might be trying to set some boundaries in your life. Might be trying to hold you accountable for the things that you do. It might be your spouse gently urging you to change your ways. Maybe it's your child asking you why you never have time to play with them anymore. It might be a friend who starts asking some probing questions about some area in your life. Proverbs 27, 6, it tells us that faithful are the wounds of a friend. Wounds of a friend, they can be trusted. The question is this, do you have someone in your life, someone that you trust enough to let them wound you? Have you given anyone permission in your life to speak the hard truths to you? And if they do that, the bigger question is, will you listen? One of the biggest issues in the early church throughout the period of the New Testament when it was being written was whether or not non-Jews, that is to say Gentiles, could become Christ followers without first becoming Jewish in nature. It was a huge issue back then. And what we see is most of the letters in the New Testament, they were written in response, at least in part, to this issue. The question was, is belief in Jesus, is that enough? Did Jesus pay for all the sins and sins of all the people on that cross? Or is it necessary to keep certain laws in addition to following Jesus? 
There was a group back then that was known as the Judaizers. We talk about them all the time. They insisted for the Gentiles, if they were going to truly follow Jesus, they would have to keep all the Jewish customs. You know, things like circumcision and the adherence to all the food laws that they had back then. It was decided fairly early on. There was a council that met in Jerusalem in Acts 15. And it was good and it was right, they said, for Gentiles to follow Jesus. And that adherence to the Jewish law was not necessary. And I've got to say for one, for that, we can be pretty thankful since pretty much all of us here, we are all considered Gentiles. But the controversy, it it lingered on past that. Because understand, it was hard for those who were raised up in a strict Jewish culture, a culture that considered Gentiles to be unclean people, to get used to this idea that, well, now they could freely mix in and amongst them. Look at Peter, even Peter, the leader of disciples. He was the first one that God said, I want you to go. He was the first person that was called to go and minister to the Gentiles. And he even struggled with it. When it was just him, and it was him and a group of Gentiles, he had no problem sitting down at their table, eating with them, and hanging out with them, and just fellowshipping with them. But when others were around, when others of the Jewish faith, when they were around, suddenly Peter would start to ignore those Gentile friends. He'd start hanging back. He wouldn't sit with them. I mean, you get the picture, right? You understand? All of you that have been in a junior high lunchroom, you know what this looks like, right? Peter didn't mind hanging around with those nerdy kids as long as no one saw what he was doing, right? But as soon as the cool kids came in, well, suddenly Peter didn't notice those kids anymore. He didn't notice that empty seat over there at the Gentile table. And he just takes his tray and he keeps on walking to sit over here with the cool kids. Well, Paul noticed. Paul noticed it and Paul saw that it wasn't right. So Paul called him out on it. In Galatians 2.11, he said, When Peter came to Antioch, I told him face to face that he was wrong. You can just about imagine how this conversation might have went, right? You have Peter. Remember, picture Peter. He's an aggressive, impulsive man. And we probably know someone like that, right? We all know someone like that. And Paul, he doesn't come across to me as someone who's going to mince his words when he's giving you some kind of instruction. But there's something that Peter was doing. And what Peter was doing wasn't right. Paul called him out on it. And Peter listened. And God used Paul to wake Peter up. We can all be grateful for that too because the gospel would have never made it to us if those Judaizers, if they would have had their way. In his book, Kyle Eidelman speaks about it this way. He says this, We all need a friend like that from time to time. A friend who will tell us when we're neglecting our family for our work. A friend who will say something when our spending gets out of control. A friend who will challenge us to do more than just come to church a few weeks a month. A friend who will question a new relationship we're beginning. Friend, is God using someone right now in your life to get your attention? Question is, are you listening? The third way God might be trying to get your attention is through a sneak peek. God might be trying to give you a glimpse of what's in store for you if if you don't change your ways. We'll call this a glimpse of future consequences, if you would. Sometimes God, he gives us a taste of what lies in store for us if we continue to go down the same path that we're already on. Like that chest pains that you're having that hint at what might be coming if your diet doesn't change. Or that failed quiz that you got that indicates what your semester grade might look like if you don't improve your study habits. Or that bounce check that can be a warning sign that you're spending, it is out of control. God, he often allows us to experience a sampling of what is going to come if we don't pay attention. 
Sadly, many of us, we miss these warning signs in our life. We assume, oh, they're just coincidental. They're just inconveniences in my life. They don't mean anything. Or worse, what happens is we assume that what? God's out to get me. He's out to get me. That's all he's done. Or that the world is against me. The whole universe is against me. And what do we do? We put the blame on others for what's going on in our life. So instead of making this connection in our life between our choices and the consequences in our life that we are experiencing, we grumble about, well, life is just unfair. Sometimes God's sounding sirens and alarms to warn us to turn around from what we're doing, but we ignore them. We pretend many times that we just didn't hear them. Think about this younger son in Jesus' story. How many alarms did he miss? Think about it. He didn't hear it when he made his request to his father, asking for his share of the inheritance. He was basically, remember, saying, Dad, I can't wait for you to die. I want my money now. He didn't hear the alarm when after a few raging weekends out there in that distant country, all the money was gone. His wallet was a whole lot lighter than it was before. He didn't hear it when the famine, when it swept through the land. He didn't hear it when he found himself taking a job of a pig sitter. It's hard for us to sit here and read this story and not ask this question. How did he not hear those alarms? How could he not hear them? How could he sleep through all of that that was going on in his life? But look, do you ever look at your own life and wonder the same thing? In the book of Deuteronomy, God tries to get the nation of Israel's attention. And he does it by giving them a glimpse of what lies ahead. Near the end of his life, just before the people entered the promised land, Moses has all the people. He divides them up into two groups. He says, okay, this group, you're going to go over here to this mountain. It was Mount Gerizim. And the other, you're going over here to Mount Ebal. And the people on the Mount Gerizim, he said, they were given a list of blessings that they were supposed to read out. And then there was over here, this group over here on Mount Ebal, they were given a list of curses to read out. And God says, if they obey, they'll receive the blessings. If they disobey, they'll receive the curses. Here's a sampling of the curses. They're in Deuteronomy 28, 15 to 19. It says, but if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall be you in the city, and cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come in, and cursed shall you be when you go out. This chapter, it goes on and on to talk about things. It talks about their army being defeated and then their children being carried off into captivity and more. Things that eventually happen to Israel after they failed to keep his covenant. The point is this. God will give you a taste of what's in store if we continue down that path, down that road that we're on. The question is, will you listen. We'll close looking at the fourth and final way God might be using to get your attention. It's by the example of others. He might be trying to get your attention by showing you what has happened to others. Those people who have traveled down that same path that maybe you're traveling right now in your life. Those that went before you. The first murderer in the Bible is a man named Cain. He was the son of Adam and Eve. Cain was the crop farmer. His brother Abel raised livestock. And once, they both had made an offering to the Lord. But Cain perceived that God was more pleased with his brother's offering. So he became jealous. He became angry with him. And God warned him. He said, don't be angry. He warned him that sin was just crouching right outside his door and would creep in if he let him. But Cain couldn't. Wouldn't. Okay, he didn't. He didn't master his anger. So what happened? In a fit of rage, he killed his brother. 
God marked him at that point. He marked him as a restless wanderer for the rest of his days on this earth. From that point on, if Cain's name, if it comes up anywhere in the scripture, it's a warning to us to not walk the same path. For example, look at 1 John 3.12. He said we should not be like Cain who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Scripture points to Cain as an example of what will happen if we ignore the alarms and we continue our way, continue living out in that distant country. In fact, the Bible's pretty frank about the sins and the failings of its main characters. Those stories are told in the scripture so that we can see what happens to others, those who have wandered away from the Father's house. There are alarms. There's alarms out there that are urging us to come to our senses before we experience those same tragedies in our life. If you're letting your drinking become habitual, do you notice what happens to those who have been convicted of drunk driving? If you're thinking of cheating on your spouse, have you paid attention to the wreckage in the life of a friend who has had an affair? If you're thinking about quitting school, have you noticed the struggles of others who never got their diploma or their degree? If you just have to hit that casino just one more time, have you noticed the financial pit that others are in because they couldn't control their gambling urges? Their experiences, they can serve as warning signs for us that if you keep going down this path in your life, you are going to end up in that same place that they are in. Back in December of 2015, there was a mass burial that took place in Los Angeles. The ashes of 1,379 bodies were buried. The only thing these bodies had in common was they all died in 2012 and... There was nobody, nobody at all that came to claim these bodies. Apparently every major city in the U.S. has to do this. If you die for a variety of circumstances, if you kick the bucket at home and you have no family, if your body's found on a park bench, if you step in front of a train or a truck or whatever and no one can recognize your remains, they can't recognize what's left of you at the end. It becomes the property of the county where you left this earth. Your body is found. It's stored away. If no one comes to claim you, you'll stay in storage, and you'll stay in storage, and you'll stay in storage. Then what ends up happening is after a while you'll be burned, and you'll be turned into ash. And then what happens? Well, then you go back in storage, and then you're in storage again for a while until eventually the county moves your ashes into a mix with all the other ashes that are there. And everyone else who died in that same calendar year, they mix them together. Don't believe me? Look it up. You become an anonymous carbon, inseparable from your fellow man. And on some random morning, you will be laid to rest out in some random field by a few government employees. Friends, think about it for a moment. Most of those people that were buried there, if not all of them, they represent prodigals. They represent those that never went back home. That is to say, they lived their life, and they lived it in such a way that when it was over, they were all alone. They were alone. No one gave them a thing. Now, can you imagine anything more sad than coming to the end of your life and having no one at all claim your body? And yet there is something that is much, much worse. It's to come to the end of your life and realize that you've been cut off from God. It would be better to die unknown by every human in Los Angeles than to die being unknown by God. But the farther we go into that distant country, the longer we stay in that distant country, the greater the chances are that we will die friendless and far from God. 
Look at the example of others in, in life and take heed. Is God using the example of someone else in your life to get your attention? Church, are you listening? Let me close with this. At every step in Jesus' story, there was some kind of alarm that was sent to this young man that he could have, that he should have heard. Essentially wishing first that his father was dead, then losing all of his money, being abandoned by his so-called friends, encountering the famine, having to work with the pigs. We want to sit here and we want to say, how in the world did this young man, did he not hear those alarms going off? How could he have possibly slept through all of that in his life? But if truth be told, we too, we often miss the alarms that are sounding in our lives simply because we don't want to hear them. So here's my question. Where is God trying to get your attention right now? What habits or patterns of behavior change before you find yourself living, staying in that distant country? What alarm is God sounding to wake you up? Are you listening? Or have you already hit the snooze button over there and you're just ready to go? You want to keep on sleeping because you're having a good time. Look, you don't have to hit rock bottom before you come to your senses. God, he will send you. He sends you warnings. He sends you alarms. He tries to get your attention, but are you listening? Kyle Eilerman, he ends this chapter on coming to your senses with a prayer for the sleeping. He encourages them to wake up. It goes like this. He says, God, open her eyes and let her see that though he walked out on her, you will never leave her and she is not alone. God, open his eyes so that he can see his wife is cold and hard only because she doesn't feel safe enough to be vulnerable with him. God, open his eyes that he may see he is living his life to impress others and glorify himself, which leads only to emptiness. God, open her eyes and let her see that a beautifully decorated and well-kept house has become more important to her than a joyful and peaceful home. God, open his eyes and let him see the single mom who lives next door with a young son who doesn't know how to throw a football. God, open our eyes and let us see the hungry and the hurting living just a few miles down the road. God, open our eyes and let us see the pride that has blinded us, the sin that has hardened us, and the lies that have deceived. Lord, we pray for aha, awaken us. Friends, are you listening? Wake up! And that's what I want to leave you with today. Let's pray. I want to thank you for listening to the message today. I pray that this message somehow has touched you and created within you a passion for action for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you have any questions or you need to make any decisions or you just need to talk to someone, I encourage you to contact your local pastor. And if you don't have one, if you don't have a local church, you may contact me through the church office at 620-336-2777. We'd love to see you on Sunday mornings in church for our celebration service. It's a great time of fellowship and worship of our Lord and Savior. Come join us. We know you'll be blessed. And thanks again for listening to the Cherryvale First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast, and have a blessed day.